Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Good evening, everyone. And today, by popular demand, we're going to be talking about Hegemony 3 uh, from Longbow Games, the third entry in sort of, I guess we can call it now, an Ancient Warfare uh, RTS trilogy, uh, which started all the way back in uh, with um, Philip of Macedon. Uh, covering covering his invasion of Greece, uh, the the pre the preceded out the rise of Alexander. Uh, so Troy, this is this is our third time out with this series, and uh, I think you know it, it, it's kind of interesting because in in some ways a lot of things have stayed the same across the series, but it has it has also evolved and changed uh, from from its 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 original concept. Uh, how, how do you feel like when when you sort of look at this in uh, you know, a line of these games. How things changed since uh, Philip of Macedon? Well, first I want to say just how surprised I am that this won the Patreon uh, listeners' vote, uh, since we have talked about these games before a couple of times. I mean, there is certainly... Uh, but I think it's kind of appropriate, since we talked about ancient warfare uh, last week, and you did mention the Hegemony series, that we are kind of, I guess, revisiting it. Um, as for, you know, what's changed, I think it's more remarkable, you know, how much has stayed the same through this series. I mean, there are, a, there are of course, a few changes. First, you know, there are many, many more factions um, in this game. Uh, Hegemony 3 is about um, Rome before it's Rome. It's about the mm-hmm. unification of Italy, and there's a smaller scenario, which is about the Etruscans, your training scenario, trying to unify Etruria under, you know, one ruler. But the main campaign is the unification of Italy under, you know, Rome or Veii, or uh, any of the cities in Magna Graecia or one of the Etruscan cities, you know, whatever you, whichever the ones you want. So there, this is a huge, huge map. And now uh, Longbow in their strategy games, you know, is not afraid of big maps. Um, these are really, it's, it's interesting. These are small, they are, in many ways, they're small games. These are games about, yeah. you know, managing uh, f- supply levels and timber and wine and grain and making sure the logistics fit in and you move your units and merge them and you march them on a battlefield. So it's in many ways, a mi- many ways a micro level management game, but played on this huge immense scope. I mean, I would think in many ways, the scope and the range of game control is it rivals the total war games even though the total war games are clearly grand strategy want you to think grand strategy um the hegemony games are very large maps that ask you to do with very small things um which works really really well uh in a lot of instances we spoke very highly of how it uh the gallic war game which was hegemony 2 uh caesar and gaul um here we have an even bigger map with, you know, a wide diversity of factions, each with, you know, some bonuses here and there, micro bonuses to different types of units, and each have different types of elite units, uh, which you don't see in a lot of their other um, games, at least not to this extent. Um, So it's plugging for that variety, replayability type thing. Uh, And also, because this game is really just about Italy, it's kind of interesting how they've been able to squeeze so much strategic diversity out of a peninsula that most strategy games show us as, you know, one long flat plain with mountains in the north and mountains in the south. By having all of these rivers and all of these forests and these bridgeheads, uh, it becomes kind of 
a narrow boot-shaped gall, being a lot of the stuff they did in the Galax series, now putting it on this, you know, very small, lean map. So you're fighting for, you know, trying to create bridgeheads and trying to build your strategic passes that you can protect in certain areas with your forts and the like um, without having without the chance of necessarily being end run except by of course pirates from Illyria who are always a problem so I guess what has changed is the game is getting bigger but also asking you to deal with you know much smaller tactical decisions with this strategic mindset in mind. Um, it's a better-looking game. Uh, the UI is better. It still has a few of the same problems, which I think we'll talk about later, that have uh, plagued the series. Um, in many ways, it is clearly part of a, a, a trilogy that you can trace all the way through with minor evolutions. Um, so it's kind of a game where I'm kind of... Where I'm not quite sure where this sits in, like which ones are my favorites, uh, but it's certainly an interesting strategic problem in many ways that they're presenting um, that I kind of like. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm glad you singled out the uh, geography of this game because I thought it did lend this a a unique character in that it's really challenging uh, geography to 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 sort of struggle with because. Uh, in a lot of cases, it does end up, um, you know, moving north south is is sort of the long run, right? But there's not a lot of room east west, uh, and and so there, you know, as you begin to expand outwards, uh, inevitably in my games, I sort of had these these really odd, um, these oddly structured lines of supply, right? It wasn't like it wasn't like ink blot expansion. Uh, where you just sort of steadily work your way out. Uh, instead, I'd have weird things where I just got on a roll in a war with the Sabines and ended up having this empire that stretched really far north, basically along one narrow corridor, a, a series of of river valleys. Uh, but along the way, it was threatened from every side by like three or four different tribes. Uh, and suddenly like I'd won this war, but I lost the peace. I was, I was fighting on every side trying to basically keep this neck of uh, land open, uh, which kind of turned into sort of an ancient warfare uh, market garden, <laughs> uh, if you will, with like, you know, all these various tribes descending on these lines of supply and uh, my, my troops constantly being sent up there to, to try and protect them. And uh, I don't know if they've, they've changed. I, I'm not sure if this is, necessarily a, a change in the way the game works or uh whether it's just the way sh things shook out um but this was a game where also i i, I had i found myself playing defense a lot more because if you let cities uh like starve if if resources are if farms are burned if uh resource locations are are, are sort of ransacked um Cities in that area, cities that are dependent on it, uh, sort of lose respect for you. The morale goes down. And they will rebel if that number hits zero. And so I, I feel like in a lot of other games, I was sort of able to, like, I, I didn't have to do as much policing of my own empire, uh, necessarily. Uh, but this was a game where very much I, I had to be sort of sending out the armies uh, if anybody so much as looked funny at one of my farms. Uh, because I just had like I couldn't afford disruption uh, to to those lines of supply. I couldn't let someone screw around with food supply because at that point, uh, some of the hard won gains I had at the edge of the empire 
uh, might start to turn against me, um, which was interesting, could also be a little frustrating because a lot of what makes hegemony hegemony, and I, and I definitely felt it with this game, is there's a little bit of, uh, you know, pouring sand through a sieve or, uh, you know, pushing a boulder up a hill. Uh, because it's it's a game that definitely wants to sort of arrest your progress and sort of retard it at times. Uh, and at times I started to feel a little bit like I was getting, um, like the game was just going out of its way to trip me up yeah. uh, and, and keep me playing whack-a-mole so that I couldn't get my feet under me. And at times that started to wear on me. Well, this is also a very crowded map. I mean, if you compare this, you know, even to the, claustrophobic atmosphere of the Peloponnesian War, which which they did in uh, Hegemony Gold. Um, th- this is a map that is just chock-a-block with cities and rebel fortresses, and, you know, it looks like there are, oh, all of these mines and farms and vineyards, so you'll be doing just fine. Well, no, because all you've got to do is lose one of those lose one of your cities or have rebels pop up somewhere or have a bridge go down and your supply line is completely hosed because everything is so crowded and the routes, the supply routes that you choose might not always be the best because uh, they're good for that moment. But if, somebody, if something goes wrong, you're completely done for. Uh, so because the map is so crowded, you know, if the wrong city revolts, you're in trouble. Um, which, you know, kind of makes sense. I mean, we'll talk about the whack-a-mole bit later because there's kind of uh, a problem with that throughout the entire series but it does in so many ways i think there the hegemony series i think longbow's emphasis on you know supply it's emphasis on food keeping people fed keeping armies paid uh because in this series i think in this game i think more than any other hegemonies i had armies just i had units just say screw you you haven't paid me i'm rebelling uh, which is never a good thing to see in the middle of a fight, but it does don't happen. Don't mess with your freelancers, you man. Don't want to mess with them. Don't, yeah, you, no one messes with freelancers. They are always paid on time. Always. always. Uh, the, the emphasis on you know supply routes, supply lines, you know, it's so much a big part of ancient warfare. It is about you know burning down farms. It is a, and starving an enemy into submission. It is about you know going out at the right time of year. Uh, to do your fighting, but knowing when to do, if you, when you have too many units, you know this is a series that more I think more than any other strategy game series uh, says, okay, I got to disband a bunch of you now. I can't afford yeah. to have you, um, and not just because you're running out of money, it's because you can't feed them, and because the loyalty of your cities is much more important than how many boots you have on the ground. Um, so that requires you know keeping them fed. Um, and this is and this whole idea of I mean you mentioned having a narrow narrow little finger of land I mean that's just it's such a bad idea and you know it's a bad idea when you're doing it but also you've got to make that progress because of the timing of the calendar and you don't want to give your enemy a chance to recoup their manpower or get their supply going or be able to afford mercenaries so you've got to strike while the iron's hot and hope you've got the diplomatic and military oomph to, you know, keep off the attackers. And since this game is based on the unification of Italy, uh, it's interesting how, you know, they follow generally the Etruscan, you know, Roman model, that it is, you know, you you either capture a city or you seduce it to your side, 
but it's really kind of a contract, you know. It's yes. not much of a con- it's, it's partly a conquest, but partly a you know we're not going to burn this city to the ground type thing. This isn't you know Philip making a example of a city burning it and saying now the rest of you are going to fall in line. This is there. We're all kind of alike. Let's try to form some sort of a league here. Um, but you know, there's always going to be. The Samnites, there's always going to be the Lucanians, there's always going to be they, you know, these cities that have been, you know, fierce, you know, lifelong rivals to the Romans. Um, So it's decided who do you smack and who do you just try to keep loyal long enough? Yeah. um, Oh, they, God, those guys can go to hell. (laughs) Um, That's how it was in history. Uh, yeah, that's how it was. Uh, no, but it, it absolutely the, this, like that is the nightmare if you're playing as Rome. Uh, the fact that you've got this near neighbor uh, that it takes a it takes a long time before you're actually strong enough to break the E. Um, and in the meantime, they can just keep sort of coming over the river uh, and, 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 you know, and messing with your stuff. Um, now, in some ways, like it was a little frustrating because. Uh, there are some things that just seem a little bit overpowered in this game, like a fortified bridgehead. Uh, is like Vei built one over, uh, you know, over the uh, over the Tiber, uh, right next to Rome, and fortified it with a few units. And basically, I was unable to dislodge them for like years. Hmm. Uh, I could send armies there, and just there was no way to uh to siege this freaking thing down like units would just sort of break against it uh and it was it was really kind of infuriating but then they just sort of keep marching their armies across so you know about twice a year i had to fight a huge battle with ae uh just to just to chase them off uh, and stuff like that, that that started to wear me out a, a little bit but yeah this is i i think this has been a strength of the series in that when you talked about You've got you've got to you've got to strike while the iron's hot. That once you're on a roll against the enemy, you you don't want to stop the war, and and that is in, in part because like getting a campaign to finally break your way decisively is not a trivial thing, no. right? A lot of these wars feel you know kind of um, dramatic, right? It takes a few it takes a few significant battles. Uh, some serious investment of resources. Uh, you know, a lot of things had to align for you to actually sustain a war effort to a point where you would basically burn through the enemy's uh, manpower, had enough strength left over that you had enough troops to go and conquer new territory. Um, And once that starts to happen, uh, yeah, this is a series that very much uh, does sort of bait you onwards uh, to overextend because, you know, everyone wants that, uh, everyone wants that decisive victory, right? To, To sort of for once and for all finish off those bastards. To, to make this never a problem again. But of course, it's the ancient world. You know, even if you, you know, you, you conquer that valley and in the next valley is an even bigger problem, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like the entire world, like this entire series, uh, you know, all of the, all the foundations of classical civilization, basically, it's all Afghanistan. <laughs> it's like, in like every single case, it's basically Afghanistan. And 
you know, you can, you know, you can conquer your, your, your neighboring territory, but eventually you're just going to, you're just going to overextend. And the farther you try to like, the farther you reach to get that decisive victory, the faster you'll, you'll watch it all slip away. Yeah. And this really is a game about, and a series, but especially this game about, you know, you want to fight one war at a time. Um, that's not always possible uh, because, you know, just because you want to have peace with, you know, the Sabines right now, you know, you've taken all their women, so you're fine. Uh, doesn't mean that they want uh, to be peaceful. Um, and, you know, trying to get any sort of an understanding, I mean, you really don't have peace treaties, really. What you have is, you know, exhausted enemies who have decided they're not going to fight right now. Um, there's this... you. The whole diplomatic side has you know, kind of been underdone uh, in these games generally uh, since the beginning. These are games that are primarily about conquest. And I think this one, by choosing, you know, unification of Italy is the purpose is, you know, that's it's saying this is about this is about the war. Yeah. Um, so the whole a lot of so peace is like in this game and it has in many old strategy games the same idea. Peace is just deciding who you're not attacking right now. It's just saying not yet, uh, yes. m- more than anything else. You're not going to create some grand, you know, Roman federation uh, that's not based on boots. Uh, it's not based on swords or spears. But you know, it's keeping that together is largely about the soft, the soft power. About you know, not taking all of their manpower, not killing all of their men. Making sure they're ba- making sure that you win your battles, um, not wasting your manpower. Um, smart use of your your governors. You, you can have leaders. You can draft leaders to you know, govern cities or to lead units, and making sure they have the right upkeep and having you know promoting the right officers. There's this whole little management system inside the game that is yeah, it's largely about creating the best army, but also thinking about things like okay, this I can either promote a unit. Promote a soldier who will give me better morale, which is great on the battlefield, but really my big problem now is I don't have enough food. So I'll get to put a hunter here, which is going to be completely useless on the battlefield, but these guys will eat less food, and food is my priority right now. And that is, in fact, I mean, it sounds like this is a military decision, but it's not. That is a political decision. You are choosing politically to prioritize uh, the food. To say you just cannot starve your cities, uh, you cannot starve your units, you do not have the money to pay mercenaries or what have you. There, all of these little decisions fit together, and I kind of wish there was a little bit more going on, you know, domestically and diplomatically to go along with the, what I think is still one of the best models of ancient warfare out there. Uh, there's, I do have a lingering affection for the implied things that are happening in the game. Um, the silent curriculum of managing your cities and trying to keep your subject cities loyal to you. Yeah. Um, I definitely had a few... This is a, this is a game, in, in keeping with that theme of... Um, of, sort of, for, of a game that encourages you to overextend... Uh, that happens on the military front as well, mm-hmm. and again, this is this is a strength of the entire series. Uh, but I really feel it uh, keenly in this game, uh, which is that you know a lot of times you look at these ancient campaigns, right? Especially the ones that go badly, and you're like, well, 
how did you not prepare better for that? Right? Like, why didn't you send, you know, why didn't you send more guys or the right guys or you know stuff like that? Uh, like, if it, it's very weird to look at ancient warfare, uh, you know, in in like. 2000 uh you know after you know after clausewitz and and the powell doctrine uh basically where you have this idea that you should you should go in and hit them with everything you have and if you're not willing to do that uh then what are you even doing fighting this war um well in in this series you don't really have the, the state doesn't really have the capacity yeah. to do that at the height of its power rome could sort of do it in limited places for limited times but even even the roman empire still had a surprisingly finite capacity for, for power projection. Uh, and in this game, especially if you go into it with that, uh, with that thinking that, okay, if I'm going to fight this war, I'm going to do it once and I'm going to go in with everything I got. And they're going to get the best damn troops in their face that I can field. Well, I did that. Uh, you know, I started taking on, uh, the, the, the Marcy and, uh, I went in with uh, a few, uh, uh, like a trio of, of hoplite units, uh, which are very heavy infantry mm-hmm. in this game. Very large units. Uh, they're very durable. Uh, hoplites can, you know, basically walk across the battlefield and sweep anything away. Uh, and they were backed by, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a, a, a lot of uh, javelin men uh, and, and things like that. And they're supported by spear troops. Um, you know, on their own. So in the end, it was like, you know, it was it, probably I sent eight or nine units uh, off on this expedition. Um, and it was, you know, it was like, it was like Napoleon invading Russia, you know, like at first, like I'm just rolling across the landscape, like just sweeping these armies out of the way. Like, yeah, it feels good. This is, I'm going to win this war. And uh, then two things happened really quickly. One is that uh, my troops, they overwhelmed the pointy end of my supply network. Uh, I simply could not get enough food uh, down to where they were to keep those armies fully supplied. Yeah. And so their 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 food number was was steadily ticking down, uh, and they were starting to run out of food. And uh, the other thing, of course, is that I had basically stripped the home front uh, bare, and so all that all it took was. Um, uh, I want to say it was the, uh, I want, it may have been Vei, it may have been someone else, uh, just sent a few raiders into my territory and started burning farms. At that point, this this invincible army turned into this leaden anchor, just sucking me, just sucking me under the waves. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, suddenly I had all these great troops, none of them could eat. I could spread them out and try to forage from local farms, but at that point, I'm just like I'm just like scattering my forces to the wind. Uh, meanwhile, I have nothing back home to protect uh, my my farms and my production centers, and so really quickly, um, you know, in the space of just a couple minutes, that that invincible army basically brought down like brought my war to a screaming halt uh, because because I couldn't I couldn't sustain it, and its very existence meant I was exceptionally vulnerable uh, back home. And in some ways, like when that happens, this can be a little frustrating because it's it's one of the ways this game really pushes back hard against you making progress. On the other hand, though, uh, this is ancient warfare. And this is especially true of the era this game is trying to represent, uh, where war is this uh, almost endless uh, seasonal endeavor. Uh, why the you know this is why some of these ancient cities have these endless freaking enmities that that stretch generations. It's because nobody could actually deliver a solid punch in this era. If the if the other guy was strong, um, 
you know, whatever you did would probably be undone by the next harvest. Uh, and and that was that's kind of the reality. And, and so reaching, you know, re, you know, finding these, you know, final uh, decisive victories uh, was was particularly hard. And you know, the means that we we typically use as strategy gamers to reach those decisive outcomes are actually counterproductive in this series in a way that I think is is very clever. It is clever, and it's kind of you know disguised a bit because I mean this is the era of. You know, the citizen army, either a citizen army or mercenaries. That's really what you're dealing with at this t- ancient time here. You don't have the professional standing legions uh, that you would get uh, later on in the empire or the career soldiers uh, for the most part. These are, your soldiers are the men you take off the farms. In the game, of course, they're not. In the game, your farmers are your workers and they're separate. And there are slaves you can capture from enemy soldiers you defeat. And those are separate. And your soldiers are treated as separate. Though historically, they weren't. They were the same people who would be working your farms, for the most part. But the game, you know, still imposes this seasonal, not quite seasonal warfare, because the seasons, the seasons affect your income more than they affect anything else. But this whole idea that, you know, you just cannot afford to lose a farm. Um, losing a farm, losing a bunch of farms be- behind your lines is just an absolute disaster. Um, especially if you've pushed too far forwards and now you've got to move your army back, but you know, they're, they're losing men because they're undersupplied. So when they do get back, they're going to be useless anyway. So do you keep them in the field and push for that one last victory and, yep. and just try to get a piece there and then try to supply that army and come back later? And maybe, you know, build new troops to build those units back with just a few raiders? Or do you fully retreat? Or do you, I mean, you said you could have expanded, you know, your line a little bit to forage on other people's farms. Well, that just makes you more enemies. Um, everyone hates you anyway, but there's no need to, you know, remind them how much they hate you. Um, and this, this does cause, you know, quite a few problems. I mean, you mentioned the whack-a-mole thing earlier. The fact that there are just so constantly so many raiders and rebels that are not necessarily affiliated with anything or aren't even in your war. They're just some jerk, you know, giving you the finger while you're busy somewhere else. Um, and this causes a lot of distraction, uh, I think, in the game. And this has been a problem ever since. I mean, it was really bad in the Philip of Macedon game. That was a game that was really, really did not let you take your eye off the ball at all. It got a little bit better in the other two games. Um, I think it's you know a little bit worse, I think, here now because the map is just so crowded you know, with cities and nations and people. Um, but it does create, you know... A, bit, a lot of player frustration because it is so hard to build sustained progress. Um, I think the lack of a really good diplomatic model is a part of that. I think that um, the the supply cost, it's like the cost of being out of supply, though entirely, you know, thematically appropriate and historically appropriate. And I think one of the great gems of genius of this entire series can really make things, you know, not fun, uh, just when things are going really, really well. Um, and it's a game where and I, I like games that throw, you know, curveballs at me that I need to recover from. But if it's the same curveball over and over again, yep. and this, is, this isn't like Crusader Kings, you know, and your empire falls apart in a different way every century. This is, oh, crap, who's burning my farms now? Um, so it's the same problem, just in a different spot. Um, and that, you know, gets to be, it, it may be somewhat accurate, but it's also somewhat 
tedious. Um, mm-hmm. And that it can be very frustrating, I think, to people that you know want to get into these games, which I think are I think the I think the interface is great. I think the information is great. I think the way that it tiers missions for your units through the campaign is great, telling you, you know, here you should probably do next. I think that's all wonderful and well laid out, and the UI is better than it's ever been. But, you know, just when you're trying to complete a mission that gives you, and then some loser rebels show up and start burning all your vineyards, and it's like, oh, come on, I can't afford... I can't afford two armies right now. And you just told me to send my other one to talk to my friends on the other side of the continent. Uh, so, you know, what is the game trying to do to me? Um, and this is, you know, I think I think I can understand why this series is, you know, very frustrating for a lot of people, which I think is a shame because I think it is, you know, one of the most interesting series about ancient strategic warfare. And I think it's kind of a shame they haven't caught on and done better uh, than they have, um, you know, f- commercially. But, you know, that whole surprise, there's some, there's some gray guys burning your, in your base, burning all your stuff. Uh, that is, it's annoying, especially, like, as I said, it's the same thing over and over again. And it's the same thing from game to game. Um, yeah. And that's, I understand why they're doing it. I think it's important to throw up roadblocks to prevent, you know, you know, hasty overexpansion to remind you of the challenges of overextension to say, hey, maybe you should consolidate, maybe you should stop for a bit, you know, ways to slow down expansion. Every strategy game has these, and that's great, and I think they're important. However, you should have more than one trick up your sleeve. And I think this is the only trick they really have is the supply thing, and once you have mastered supply, the way they interrupt it is the same way all the time. Surprise, rebels. Or surprise, they the they should never be a surprise because they're jerks. Yeah, um, you, but like again, like they in this game uh, sort of made me understand why occasionally uh, cities would just sort of exterminate each other. Like, yeah, I, I think by the time I'm re- if this war ends, like I think I'm ready to to, to just you know flatten it. Uh, but yeah, I agree. This is the this is the, this is a game where I definitely. I definitely started to feel like I have seen these tricks before. I've I've seen them a few times before, uh, and now they're coming very thick and very fast. Uh, you know the, the the way they're being deployed in this game, but that's not necessarily uh, that's not necessarily something I necessarily needed more of. Um, and in some ways, like solving these problems necessitates a lot of. Uh, repetition of of some very familiar steps like i i inevitably in all these games uh sort of have this point where basically after every round of expansion i sort of have to sit down like figure out where everyone's at and start creating like these little like local police armies uh basically right so you know okay so here's what i need to hold that northern front here's what i need down south here's here's what i need out east just to keep things sort of tamped down respond to uh little raiders and everything so what if i get left this is the army you know this is you know, if it's a casino uh after you've made those after you've placed those units uh whatever you've got left that's what you can afford to spend on on offensive action uh, by and large, and you know, it's it's cool. The game forces you to make those decisions, but it is that is a process that I thought would find myself repeating uh, constantly. And the answers were basically the same. It wasn't. It wasn't like. 
it's not like the challenge really grows up alongside the game in a lot of ways. Like it just becomes harder because you're spread over more territory, yeah. which in some ways is thematically brilliant because mm-hmm. uh, it's the ancient world. Uh, and, and so, you know, that distance is an obstacle governing large swaths of territory is incredibly difficult, uh, especially when you don't share a national identity. Uh, but on the other hand, it's the same thing. It's the same thing I was doing, you know, in the first hour of the game and doing it in the 10th hour of the game. It's just now I'm doing it in a million different places all at mm-hmm. once, uh, which, which gets a little bit, a little bit old. And I think that's, I sort of wonder, cause I, I think this game hit Kickstarter, didn't it? Uh, and I don't think it did well. There. It didn't. No. Um, and I, and I sort of wondered like if this is a series where it's just, it's unable to grow because it hasn't found the audience it needs to justify the investment uh, to, to create something bigger and better, which, which I think is a real shame. Cause I think, um, I think about the first game and, and uh, the, the second, uh, the, the, the Gallic Wars, uh, I thought were, were, were both really terrific and I would like to see, I would like to see the design become a little more sophisticated, right? I would like to see some of these concepts maybe married to uh, new mechanics and new systems uh, to to do an even better job of bringing various eras to life and, and various settings. And here I kind of feel like what's happening is, well, it's Gallic Wars, uh, but now you're in Italy and it's all these Italian tribes. Have fun. One of the things I love about the Longbow games is, except for, you know, uh, the Gallic War game, is how they are not afraid to say, well, here's a here's an ancient thing you don't know a lot about and a game about it. So, of course, so they do, you know, Philip of Macedon. They do the Peloponnesian War. They do the unification yeah. of Italy. These are not things that people make games about. They make games about Caesar. They make games about Hannibal. They make games about Alexander. They made a game about Caesar. I don't think it's a coincidence that's the only game of theirs that had an external publisher. So they have this great variety of novel settings and great interesting maps and interesting interpretations of what make these cultures separate, I guess, or unique. But the mechanics never quite keep up with that beyond, you know, the Romans can make new fort. Did have lots of forts and engineering stuff in the Gaul games, and some of that stuff comes back here. Uh, but by and large, you know, there's amazing settings, and it'd be nice to have that, you know, that confidence in. I think there's something cool in this thing you've never heard of. That sort of you know design confidence that they can make a game about a completely alien ancient world. And it'd be nice if they could find something about that period that would also tap into you know, game mechanics in interesting ways. Yeah. Now, we had that a bit, you know, in, in, in Philip of Macedon. It was the first time this entire system was there. So this entire thing was new. So great. The entire game is a new game. So it's all unique and it's all amazing. Peloponnesian War, they work in some naval stuff um, and some amphibious stuff, but generally, it, so that's kind of neat. And Caesar, they have all the engineering things, forts and, and, and the like. And here it's like, you know, you've got this great story that Livy told lies about, which is full of, you know, it's full of heroes and it's full of butchery and it's full of diplomacy and it's full of deceit. It, you know, it's this grand Shakespearean tragedy of how Rome grew up. Um, 
And it'd be nice to have, you know, some of that fake history of Livy, you know, kind of appear in this game somehow where there is, you know, deception and there is espionage and there is, you know, there are blood pacts and, you know, maybe even champions who fight things out. So you have like one small unit versus one small unit and the winner takes it all, like the the, the, the oath of the, of the Horatii, uh, which then, of course, ends in, you know, murdering your sister because that's how the Romans rolled. Um so there's this, so you know, bring some of that, this whole alien world, you know, bring it look more to life with some really interesting novel mechanics. Because the Romans, you know, they united through, you know, granting Latin rights. You know, there's this whole diplomatic side yep. to their power, as well as you know, burning Vegi to the ground to make sure those people never showed up again. Um, and then, you know, when the Gauls take Rome, thinking, you know, maybe the Vei had a good city. We should move there, which they almost did um, until Camillus said no. So we have this entire... So it would be nice to have that confidence in weird settings to extend to, you know, confidence in stretching their system beyond, you know, which, as I've said before, I think these are amazing mechanics, and it's great they can move them from place to place, and they're not the only company that has, you know, issues with you know, not finding new things. We've talked about Firaxis and Beyond Earth. We've talked about Creative Assembly and Total War. This is something that a lot of studios do, just move things over from one game to the next. But as I said, this is a company with the confidence to make a game about the unification of Italy. So, you know, I say just go nuts and show me something, you know, something different beyond the Romans got a couple of new special things or now the Etruscans can walk through marshes faster. Yeah. Um Maybe I'm asking too maybe I'm asking too much. I mean, this is a very small studio. Um there well, I mean, but you know there's 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 okay, so the, there's asking too much from a practical like producer standpoint, yeah. like what's viable for studio, right. but then there's us the player, yeah. uh who at this point is the third game. Right. Uh and, and so like, you know, okay, what have you done for me lately? And I really do like these games. I, I like I, I like what Longbow has done, and I'm, they've really sort of enriched uh, the the uh, strategy landscape for us. Uh, but yeah, this is a different setting, and at times it feels like uh, Rise of Caesar, uh, but with, with with a new skin. Like like for instance, uh, a lot of the engineering stuff mm-hmm. is, is is in this game too, uh, and that doesn't really feel thematically consistent. Like this isn't a war that. You know, Italy was not unified uh, in the mists of Roman prehistory by, you know, garrisons of troops, like, creating these fire bases out in the middle of Italy <laughs> uh, from which they're launching raids. Like, that just, that that, that doesn't, that doesn't track with, with, with how we imagine the era. Um, it's more of a, and, more, and so it doesn't, more it doesn't Vietnam feel. Vietnam 65 thing. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, and so it doesn't feel it's not really delivering on uh, on the the possibilities of its setting. And I agree, like because so much of this era is also about the creation of Rome as an idea. Okay, so like if this is an era. Th- this game when it starts, uh, you know, and where the history starts is is Rome is just a city. Uh, and and so what's going to set it apart? Like from 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 whence did this great empire spring? Uh, basically, and what does it mean to be Roman? How do how do you extend that beyond just this narrow conception of uh, of Romanness of Roman citizenship? Uh, to for, you know this group of people who who happen to live uh, on these uh, on this pile of hills uh, to something that's capable of unifying Italy and then 
creating this great Mediterranean empire. And the, the early stages of that story are taking place in this era, right? It's, it's the, the, the Romans conquer, but then they also expand the definition of what it is to be a Roman. They create a national consciousness where, where none existed before. That part of the story doesn't really get told here because there's no systems to support it. So occasionally a plot event happens and another city, another city will be like, yep, we're Romans now. We'll be Romans till we die. And you don't have to worry about it. But what's missing in that story is is the sort of the necessary compromise and bargaining and seduction uh, that has to happen in order for for Rome as we know it to to really get rolling. And that and this game just doesn't have anything capable of of modeling. That. And you can imagine, you know, rival conceptions of how you would unify Italy. I mean, look at what the Etruscans did the Etruscans, in Italy, yes. right? I mean, where they're just setting up. You know, they're they're just a traditional tribute empire, right? I mean, they're just getting tribute from all over the place. And that's how Lars Pasena of Clusium, you know, built his great name. Um, so there's a rival conception of what an empire would look like. And you can have that as an alternative uh, for some nations. You know, you have the you have Magna Graecia to the south, you know, it's, these are, just, these are Greek colonies. So they have an idea of, you know, of, of independent city-states. You know, they're going to be fiercely independent. Uh, and will remain fiercely independent for, you know, their entire run of the Republic. I mean, that's where Hannibal had the most success finding friends, uh, was in uh, Magna Graecia, because they just really didn't see themselves as Romans all that much. So you can imagine all these rival conceptions of what it means to be an Italian, and what it means to be a part of the Roman Empire. And I would love to have seen a little bit more of that history creep through here, because it is such a great, wonderful largely legendary and fragmentary with fragmentary archaeology story. Well, we know the broad outlines and we know the broad outlines enough to make, you know, something really interesting going on beyond, you know, this detailed, you know, supply model and, you know, where are your units and who's starving now and who hates me today. Um, And yeah, and resolving all of this through, you know, historic events is an easy way to do it. But it kind of takes away the idea that, you know, that you know, I am Camillus, I am Publicola, yes. I am the guy building this empire out of nothing. Um, it's you're, you're not building something, you're hitting checkpoints. Yeah, yeah you, 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 they're achievements. These, these, these are these achievos that pop up because you hit the right goal at the right time uh, more than they are uh, actions you've done. They're rewards, which is fine. Um but, you know, I'd like to have, I'd like to be the person building the city. Now, this ties into uh, sort of the conversations we had last week as well about, about ancient mm-hmm. warfare. Because uh, there, are, there, are, there are a lot of things we don't know, and that's, and that's never more true uh, than in this era. Because, as you said, like, our primary source for this era is writing hundreds of years later with this legendary bent. Right. He's he's creating a mythologized version of the history of Rome. And the question is whether or not hegemony itself, just as just as the game is conceived, really is set up to even tackle something like the story uh, that Livy tells. Right. Like and, and, and that's because because hegemony in, in many ways is. Um, you know, its foundations are in are in Philip's conquest of of Macedon and Greece. Um, the unification of Macedon and the conquest of Greece, 
which is really this amazing story of like hard nosed uh, rail politique in the ancient world, uh, which makes it in a lot of ways, a very modern story to tell, right? Like he divides, he conquers, he divides, he conquers, he builds a better army. Uh, he turns it against the right targets and the others fall in line. Uh, and it's this, it's this brilliant achievement that uh, is as impressive and relatable today as it was uh, in his era. In fact, it's more relatable today because we've seen it happen more often. Philip was kind of working from a playbook that didn't exist. He, he wrote it. So that's what this, that's what this series was sort of set up to, to do and set up to model. The story that Livy tells uh, doesn't want, is, is very actually trying to, is very much about sort of trying to obscure historical reality and recast it in this uh, glorious um, mythological light, but also uh, to instill proper appreciation of Roman virtues uh, and, and how those virtues in, informed the history and, and, and sort of animated this era, which may be a very different sort of world, like, Hegemony is built to handle this one type of world that we can actually recognize very easily. What we know about the early Roman period, uh, you know, as, as far as like the story Livy tells, um, is very different and behaves according to different rules. And I, I just, you know, I, I just wonder, like, what does like what 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 you know, what does the Livy strategy game look like? Uh, like what like. What are you what are you introducing into that world? Uh, you know, if you're adapting hegemony to that world, uh, what what changes? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure we need a, a, a Livy strategy game, but we need to have some of the things that Livy got right. I mean, yes, he's writing this whole story. His Roman history, his history of Rome is really about they're they're they're, they're patriotic fairy tales. I mean, he, he's the Parson Weems of our elementary school American history textbook of the Romans. So George Washington could not tell a lie. Paul Revere in his midnight ride, he did he rode alone and he never got captured. I mean this is, you know, the story we tell kids and that's kind of what yeah. Livy's history was. It was here are all these great brave Roman heroes and they did brave Roman things. Here's Cincinnatus and here's Camillus and here's Publicola and here's Brutus. Um and we were never vassals to Lars Pacena. That's uh, that's just old Etruscan propaganda. Um so I don't think we need to tell necessarily the Livy story of heroes. I'm not sure this game is set up to tell a Livian story of heroes. But it's certainly set up to tell, a, I think, a Livian story of, you know, the, the conflict between the classes, you know, the patricians and the plebeians, you know, jockeying for power at this time. You know, the, the cities that want to be independent, why Rome expands. Um, the struggle for land. I mean, here, why do you... Why are you conquering the next city? Why are you burning all their farms? Because you've got a mission saying you've got to conquer that city and take all their farms. It's not that there's any pressure for you to do it. It's not like the, vic and it's just the victory condition is to win. Um, it's, you know, it's not like you know, civilization where I need another luxury good and can only get that by conquering that city-state. Or, or I need oil. I, I've discovered oil and I don't have any, but the other guy has it, so I'm going to grab it. You know, there's none of that pressure to go to war because you have too much population or whatever. Um, you go to war because the game says you have to. It would be nice to have, you know, a, a game about this period that, you know, capture why these cities are fighting each other. You know, what are the historic animosities going on here beyond an event popping up saying you should do it? Um, to have the diplomatic 
responses um, to have you know betrayals, you know, major betrayals of you know of generals switching sides or cities you know switching sides um, at the wrong time. You know these are stories that Livy tells that are re- that are probably reasonably that if not if they aren't true, they're pro- if, they're, if they're not accurate, they're probably true. In which case, in which, by which I mean they capture something that almost certainly did happen, even if it didn't happen in this perfect way. Um, right. So there are there are, they are true stories that aren't accurate, as opposed to his legendary stories, which are just fairy tales. And I think we can, and we do know quite thanks to archaeology, we do have a better understanding of you know what early Italy looked like. We do know how powerful the Etruscans were. We do know uh, the per, that there probably was a Gallic invasion. Uh, that Livy didn't make that up. He probably did make up that the Gauls were defeated later, um, they, they were probably paid off and they went away. The story Livy tells is they were paid off, but then Camillus, who was exiled, shows up and says, I'm not paying your tribute anymore. Let's fight. And he fights and the Romans win because yay, Rome. And Romans will never be slaves and again. And Romans will never be slaves again, especially not to the Gauls. It's just, I just love Livy's bullshit. It's, it's kind of the best bullshit. Um, I think there are ways to tell these stories and within... Th- if not, I think even within this game system, at least if there was a little more attention paid to things like the diplomatic side or the strategic resources side or even the pers- even the personality side. Now, I don't want every game to be, you know, a European Universalis, Crusader Kings you know, story because they're just other companies can do that. Other companies do that and do it well. Um, and that's not what these games are about. But I would like them to be about something more, partly because I think this company can do it. <laughs> I don't think I don't think this is a Thea situation where I don't want to get our Thea fans angry at us again. I don't think this is a Thea situation where they have some really novel ideas and they've put together this game that shows them off, but they're not quite sure what to do with them. I think this is a company that has lots of ideas, but for either financial pressures or time pressures, just can't take it to the next level. And I think they have it in them. I'm just, I really want them to do it more than anything else. I don't think this is a lack of talent or a lack of ambition. I think it's a lack of time, a lack of money, and a lack of focus. And that's really, I think, a bit too bad for a series that, I mean, I've loved from the very beginning. I mean, there are Toronto-based studios. I've got a special uh, homeboy love for them there. Uh, There are just so many, so many great ideas throughout this series. And as great as Hegemony 3 is, and I think it really is an excellent strategy game, you know, to see the same problems pop up over and over again and not, I would like to see new problems. I would like to have new complaints about the game instead of the same ones again, which is a stupid, stupid thing to say. It sounds like the, the dumbest criticism possible, uh, but it, it kind of means, the, but it also means like, you know, show me some ambition, you know, just, I mean, I mean, this is the, every studio though has to know, like eventually that's coming, right? right? No matter how happy your fans seem, like if Europe Universalis 5 came out tomorrow and it were basically like EU4, um, I would probably be like, well, why the hell does this exist? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that would be my reaction. It doesn't matter if it's still, hey, it, it's still a good game, though. It's still what you like. Now, this is the, now I'm aware of all my internal inconsistencies. Because right. Tom Chick and I clash over this all the time about, like, games like Company of Heroes 2, right? right? Where he's like, why on earth would anyone 
any right-thinking person play Company of Heroes 2 when Company of Heroes 1 is right there and is arguably a better game. Uh, and I will say, well, yeah, but it's still it's still Company of Heroes. It's still good. Uh, but yet I look at a game like this uh, and, I, and I think, well, okay, but but now now you got to show me something else. And, and maybe that's also just a function of Company of Heroes 2 isn't Company of Heroes no, 1 it's not. at this point. They've, they have created thematically different factions. Mm-hmm. It feels now like a different game um, more than it used to. And I think with Gemini 3, it just feels it feels too much like we're re, we're, we're re, re, retreading old ground. And it and and it's very good old ground. It's very familiar old ground. But maybe I'd like to see a new a new monument, a new landmark, a new mall. Yeah. Well, and those old games weren't small. They were. It is, it, you know what I mean? Like they were. They, they, those were big How games. often do you actually finish a campaign in any of them? I think I fin- I think the only campaign I've ever well and truly finished was was Hegemony One. Uh but yeah, beyond that. No, you can get hours no, and you... hours and hours of great well, stuff and, out of this. And because that loop you described, that 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 the same problems keep cropping up, eventually like someone shows up to start burning burning your farms and it's like um you know, uh that that Mel Brooks movie. Uh where, <laughs> where the Roman charioteers are just like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, that's that's kind of the point I reach with uh, with, with the Gemini games, but I don't know. Like I, I I kind of feel like some of the things we want to see from this game is almost it almost belongs to a different game, right? Like you know when you're talking about the sort of national consciousnesses and class consciousness uh, that that characterizes a lot of the uh, early Republic. Uh, you know, at that point, you're you're talking about like Victoria, but in ancient times. Well, I mean, not necessarily. Um, I mean, we have we already have civilian workers and military staff, and we have generals. We just and we have we, and we have g- g- governors. So we, uh, we, no, you have you have peons. Right. You have buffs. I mean, that's but, not. But, you know but, what I mean? That's but, not but really. No reason you couldn't give those modifiers, right? So like, you're running. So if the issue is food. Like, there's not enough food. You know, maybe you need to have a. Do I do a do a do I do a government reorganization? And I pay off, pay so much wood, so much gold for a government organization, and it makes you know workers more efficient, and so gives soldiers more morale or something, just something really silly like that. But you know, you could have a conflict of the orders type thing that leads to a decision that you have to make. It's very costly, but it pays off in the long term. I don't know. I'm just throwing these things out there. But I, no, I think I think for me, as you're saying that, you know what? What I think like is sort of a game covering that era would require uh would be something like the uh national decisions options uh available in like an eu game with the difference that i feel like in this era those big national decisions you press that button and all hell should break loose right like in the end maybe you do (laughs) maybe you do need to uh give greater rights uh to your um you know, greater rights to your equestrian class, right? Maybe you do need to sort of balance out uh, the the way power is divided in Rome. But if you actually press that button, or you actually press that button to create the office of Tribune, um, you know, the shit should hit the one, fan. One of your best generals default default defects to 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 to, 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 to the Volsci because Coriolanus is a whiny, whiny little man. Yeah. Like something like that. That I think is sort of the 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 thing that I that I'd want to see uh, capture in a game like this, which is that 
progress is very hard won, right? Like a lot of times these these empires evolve out of necessity. The foundations are laid uh, because somebody was was basically holding a knife on somebody else, and the the choice was between you know basically civil war and destruction, uh, or um, you know, or, or just finding a way to live with each other for another day. And eventually that decision leads, you know, leads to, you know, undiscovered strength down the road. That's kind of what's missing here. That's what's missing, actually, I think, in uh, a lot of Ancients games uh, where, where you don't where you don't see those aspects of it brought to life. Because, you know, the ancient era, uh, in a lot of ways, is this weird mix of small town politics and grand strategy. Yeah, and this is, I mean, I'm, I'm probably asking for a little bit too much. Know from this game, but I think part of it is because I want to, to see them push this because they have this system down, right? You know, I mean, I don't think we need, first of all, 30 different factions in Italy, for one thing. They could have certainly have cut that down and make the game, made the game just as interesting. Um, so they could have put some attention on the more strategic level. I think that, but I said, the, the story of the unification of Italy is just not an entirely military story. And as yeah. long as you I mean, yeah, Philip's unification of Greece is, you know, him throw, showing up with a mob and whacking a few guys and then demanding protection money from the rest of Greece. That is what that story is, and they tell that story very well. The unification of Gaul, uh, Caesar's conquest of Gaul, pretty much the same thing. You know, you overall, some of the barbarians, make them your allies and genocide the rest. The unification of Italy is not that. It's partly that. There are a lot of battles. And because Livy is so interested in the military side and the glorification of arms, because the Romans are a, mer- are a martial people, and that's the story he wants to tell, and all these masculine virtues, which he sees as Roman, that's not the entire story. And we have all of these other stories of you know trade and diplomacy and all of this popping up and all of the cultures responding differently to the rise of Roman power. You know, they hated the Romans the most because they were the closest and they were the tightest. And, you know, as one rose, the other one had to decline. And that's led to this, you know, decades-long blood feud between the two. Um, To have all of these... You could have, you know, different strategies for each area. And you don't have different strategies for each area. You have... What the Magna Gratians have to do to win the game is the same thing the Etruscans have to do to win the game, which is the same thing the Romans have to do to win the game. So you have these distinctions of units without differences. I would rather have seen, if you're going to have differences between the cultures and societies, have each one have somewhat different victory conditions. Yeah. Or different ways of, you know, seducing cities to their side or different powers they could activate instead of, oh, the Etruscans get us unique, get, get a unique axeman. Thanks, great, but you know they should have a way to exact tribute because that's kind of what they did, and the Magnagration should be prone to revolt all the time. Um, so you need to have a if they're so they're more willing to be allied than they are willing to be uh, submitted. So there should be you know this sort of I would like to see them you know take the strategic level one layer up because they have the tactical level kind of down pat. So but this is a strategy game. It is about large control of land and allocation of resources. So there's strategy stuff here above the tactical level that I would like to see move to that tactical, diplomatic, political level, which is a a lot to ask, I know. And I'm not saying I don't like this game because I do like this game a lot. But I think that's where the hegemony 
games need to go do you have to keep me coming back? They need to be asking the more interesting questions about these weird places in history. Like if they were to do a Bronze Age game, for example, and this is a company I think that could do actually a really good Bronze Age strategy game. But you can't make that a game about forts, bridges, constant rebels, and supply lines. That's got to be a game about a few decisive yeah. battles, a lot of sieges, and the Assyrians being the worst people in all of human history. Yeah, I, um, I don't dislike Hegemony 3, but... It is hard for me to recommend. Yeah. Because, like, to, to someone... I'm, I'm sorry. It is hard for me to recommend to someone who has not played the previous... To, to someone who has played the previous games. Yeah. I think mean, if you haven't played them, this is a fine place to, to dive yeah. in. Uh, although I really think, honestly, the, the way to choose your, the hegemony that's right for you is kind of ask, what are you most interested yes. in? Uh, because for me, for me, it's Greeks. Yeah. Uh, so Hegemony 1 is still kind of like, if I can only have one, I, I, I keep yeah, going. Yeah, for me, for me and, it's, uh, it's, it's the Peloponnesian War, which I think is, because yeah. it's, it's not only Greek, it's just such a fascinating strategic puzzle. Yeah. So which I, that, which I, that's, which that's, I think that's... their game captures very well. Yeah, so that's the one I'd keep. Uh, but it is a hard game for me to recommend to fans of the series, Uh because I, I think you really you the end you really need to want more hegemony, uh, the exact the, the exact same hegemony that you you've gotten before. Uh, you want more of it, because uh, because I think if you know if you if you were feeling satisfied, and certainly I, I was. Like I finished, I finished with Rise of Caesar, and I had kind of I think reached the end of my road uh, with that, with that design uh, to an extent. So I mean I think with with Rise of Caesar I had kind of I, I had experienced all of that design that I that I really needed to mm-hmm. right and so for me like, I'm looking at this game it's 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 thirty dollars on Steam uh, it's hard for me to say if you've if you've played those other games and and you know you you kind of know what you're getting unless you really want more of that uh, it's a really hard game to recommend for me because I just don't see a whole lot that's that's new here. Uh, and I, I think discussing the things that could have been has been interesting and other ways that like other designs you might be able to to bring to this era is interesting. But I think Hegemony 3 just doesn't in itself doesn't do a whole lot with the setting and it also doesn't do a whole lot to sort of refresh uh, the Hegemony formula. So, you know, it's really one of those things that, I, you know, becomes a recommendation for people who maybe haven't played any of the previous games or uh, are, are just super fans of the series. But for me personally, as I was as I started to play it, um, you know, I kind of got the sinking feeling uh, a little bit because I was like, oh, no, like there's just there's just not a whole lot of new ideas here, uh, which was which was disappointing. I mean, it does have, I mean, as we said, quite a lot in his favor. I mean, even beyond it, it, I think it does have, you know, the geography makes, you know, the narrowness of Italy does by itself is an interesting strategic problem. Uh, for you, I mean, once, like you said, if your line gets very narrow, it's very easy to get cut off. So there are all of these interesting problems. The fact that it's really crowded, I said, is a huge problem for the game because it leads to rebels kind of constantly popping up everywhere. But you know, if you kind of like that sort of challenge of being in a claustrophobic space, it's an interesting, once again, another interesting strategic problem. I think that absolutely a hegemony game is a must-have. Whether this hegemony game is a must-have is up to you. 
But if you're interested in strategy games, you must play at least one of these, I think. That's a fair place to leave it. Uh, so that will do it for this week's episode of Three Moves Ahead, which is produced by Michael Hermes and hosted by the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show or discuss this episode with our community by visiting our website at threemovesahead.net. Worth mentioning that this episode was chosen by our Patreon backers uh, who voted on uh, Hegemony, narrowly edging out uh, Satellite Rain and Hard West uh, for a topic. Satellite Rain lost such a heartbreaker, by the way, that I I think we might have to do a show on it at some point down the road uh, just because it was it was so close. uh, How close was it? It was two votes. Oh geez. Yeah, no, it was like like it was basically uh it, it was it was basically the uh the the, the vote in Florida in 2000. Uh, that I, was I, this month's Patreon there, poll. There there is some interesting stuff going on at Satellite Rain. I think you can find people to talk about it. Yeah, and Cyberpunk is cool. Um so yeah, so anyway, thanks so much uh, to those of you who voted and to those of you who back us on on Patreon. It's it's a huge help. Uh, and it's fun sort of letting you guys uh, set the agenda from time to time. I, I hope our conversation about Hegemony uh, w- was not a disappointment to uh, the, the the clear diehard Hegemony fans uh, we, we have among our, our listenership. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another Three Moves Ahead in which the winter of wargaming will continue. Uh, until then, uh, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Good night, all. <laughs>